Hey guys, we are uh, at St. Andrews, Newport Ritchie campus, and um, you know we've been talking about for a few weeks how we really wanted to get a uh, live stream slash podcast uh, going, and here we are. We're doing it. Uh, I hope the quality's good. I hope the audio's good. Don't feel free to uh, you know message us in the comments if it's not great. Uh, we can make adjustments on the fly. We got Claude, our audio guy here, helping us out. His his name's not actually Claude. It's Jacob, but I gave him the nickname Claude, and everyone calls him Claude now. So uh, it's Claude. Um, but yeah, so we are doing this live stream and um, we were going to do this last week, but we had some technical difficulties and really just trying to get our audio and our video and just everything set so we could do this at a uh, good quality level. Um, so tonight we're going to be talking about should Christians struggle with fear, depression, anxiety, and I'm just going to kind of go in line here. If you just want to kind of introduce yourselves uh, and just let us know uh, what your background is and uh, uh, just any other facts we might want to know about you uh, before we get started. So how about it? Anaya Boyce. Um, I met Lauren through an individual that um, that I go to school with, and uh, ended up being a pretty cool relationship. We met a couple of times. We have really good conversations, and so um, we thought about recording them. And this is a good. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty controversial. We don't always agree, um, but it's cool when you can talk to somebody and come to some solid conclusions and still disagree and shake hands and walk away and still be pretty good friends. So um, this is good. Um, I'm a husband and a father of five. Uh, my beautiful wife is at home. She, she's wonderful. She takes care of our children. Um, and that's enough about me. Uh, I'm Nick Shalna. I met Lauren through this individual sitting next to me. Um, I am a youth pastor and I attend Trinity College in my second year. Uh, I as well got married just a year and a half ago. Best decision of my life besides getting saved. Amen. Um, so yeah, I've been definitely looking forward to this discussion and can't wait to see what comes up. Yeah, so fun fact, uh, when he says we were introduced uh, by this individual here, he means like 20 minutes ago. Like we literally yeah, just literally. met. So <laughs> this should be an interesting conversation. We don't know what to expect from each other. I'm still meeting him. Right, right. We're still getting the introduction period done. So, um, And both you guys said you went to Trinity, right? Um, give me, uh, and everybody watching, give me a quick uh, description slash vibe of like, what is Trinity College? Like, what is it um, as opposed to not just other colleges, uh, say other Bible colleges or something like that? Give us a, just give us a brief description of if we were to walk on Trinity campus, what's the vibe we're going to get there? Trinity, to me, seems more like a family than anything else. Um, to get into the college, you have to be a Bible-believing Christian, okay. which is which is the kind of college that I was looking for. Um, the classes of, from there, from the beginning, the professors actually care a lot about the student and what they're learning. Cool. Some of the courses are more challenging than others, but uh, I've definitely had changes in my spiritual life and seen changes in my life overall from some of the classes and the courses that I've taken there, especially from some of the reading material too. So I couldn't say enough about how good of a school that is as far as developing a spiritual relationship with God and um, being prepared to minister to people once you leave there with whatever degree that, that people decide to get. So couldn't say enough good things about it. Awesome. And, and how did you get connected with Trinity? How did you hear about them? Or? It was a web search, really. Okay. It was a web search. And, wow. and once I started going, um, I actually found out that several people that I already know were familiar with the school. So nice. really just a web search and seeing some of the schools in the area and some that were close to where I lived in Carrollwood, um, seeing their tenants and what they believed mm -hmm. and what was important to them 
those same things were important to me, and that's why I chose this school. Nice, so. nice. Uh, all right, what about you, Nick? Give us a give us a vibe of Trinity, the Nick version. I would second everything, and I said it's definitely a family kind of environment. Uh, the professors are amazing. I think we have something like a nine to one professor student ratio. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so I mean, there's I've met with just about all of my professors at a Starbucks or breakfast or. Um, yeah, it's amazing. They they take the Bible very seriously. Uh, like Anaya said, you have to be a Bible-believing Christian to get in. There's a little test you have to take. Um, so it's amazing. They're interdenominational, so there's no specific uh, denomination. However, they, they teach truth. They teach the Bible uh, solidly. Would, would you say they lean a certain way, even though they're, they're non-denominational? <laughs> I would say that um, each, honestly, each, each professor is a little different. A lot of my professors, who have they, they've been a little more reformed, and I like that. Okay. Um, but yeah, it depends on the professor. But yeah, they, and then some of them aren't. Yeah, right, some right. Of them aren't. So, cool. Yeah, because yeah, a uh, quick shout out to our uh, soon-to-be uh, college and career pastor here, uh, John Irving. Um, so I first heard about Anaya through John Irving, and he the the first thing he says is we'll be sitting in class sometimes, and like a professor will bring up a certain point, and we're on totally ends of the spectrum, like mm-hmm. opposite ends. But the conversation is so good. Yeah. You know, it's not like yeah. combative. It's just right. good. So right. um, when he said that, I was like, man, that's awesome that there's a college campus like that that mm-hmm. is really promoting the conversation. Yeah. You know, not just believe this or you're out. Yeah. You know, because there yeah. are places like that for sure. Yep. Um, that's for sure. So, uh, like I said, this is kind of our first week at really, really diving into this podcast. Um, if you're watching now, you want to share it. Uh, if you guys here haven't shared it yet, you can either find it uh, on my personal Facebook page or it's St. Andrew's Presbyterian uh, Newport Ritchie Campus if you want to share it that way. Um, and this will also be available if you kind of jump in the middle. Don't worry about it. Um, after we're done with the live stream tonight, it'll, uh, I think almost immediately, you can go back and watch it from the beginning for like the next week or so. So um, we are also encouraging, if you're watching live, it's going to be weird if you comment. Uh, you know, tomorrow or the next day. But if you're watching live, we encourage you to, if you hear anything um, where you're like, man, I have a question about something they just said, or you just want to chime in on the general conversation, uh, feel free to just type it right into the messenger. I got my phone right here, so I'll be watching it. Um, And your questions are not only welcome, they're valued. We absolutely want to get different perspectives here. So um, back to the topic tonight, Uh, should a Christian struggle Um, with fear, depression, and anxiety. So um, for me, this has kind of been a hot button issue for me for two or three years now. Um, I've done college ministry in the past, um, and we can talk a little bit later of why I think this is really relevant to a millennial or college-age person, but um, I was telling the guys before we started tonight that I feel like um, the millennial generation, maybe just the younger generations, what I'm seeing a lot on social media, which I guess can be anecdotal, you know, uh, mm-hmm. maybe it's just my news feed. Maybe you guys don't experience this at all, uh, or you guys at home don't see this. But on my news feed, I'm starting to see a trend of people who deal, deal with fear, uh, depression, anxiety. I guess there's some other ones we could throw in there. Um, a lot of people my age, and, and even Christians that I've interacted with uh, in my past, are starting to say that... Um, you know, depression or anxiety. Let's just kind of hang on those two for a second. We're starting, my generation, I feel like there's a, a trend where people are starting to wear that almost like as a badge of like, this is my identity and you need to respect me for this. I'm always going to deal with anxiety. I'm always going to deal with depression. Uh, and therefore you need to treat me accordingly. Almost like it is a, um, and, and, and we can get into the medical side of this a little bit right. later, but almost mm-hmm. like if someone's like, uh, you know, you have terminal cancer. 
and this is how you are going to live out the rest of your days. I feel like at a very young age, people are getting diagnosed, whether it's WebMD diagnosed or maybe from their doctors are Dr. saying, or, 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 or yeah, any of that. You have depression, you struggle with anxiety, and therefore this is your sentence for the rest of your life. And then those people take that and they say, okay, I am now going to look at life through the filter, through the lens of anxiety and depression, because there's clearly no way that I can shake this. This is just a part of who I am. Uh, and, and I know I'm putting a lot on the table right now, but um, from my opinion, personally, I don't necessarily believe that's what the cross is screaming to us. I don't believe the cross is, is coming with chains attached to it or strings attached. Um, but I think a, a lot of Christians struggle with this and a lot of people deal with this. Now, I'm not talking about... Um, you know, it's rush hour traffic, five o'clock, I four, and you're a little anxious because people are going right. to slam into you. That's yeah. not what we're talking about. We're talking, uh, you know, chronic, just every day you're, you're losing sleep. Uh, your life's rough because you're dealing with these things called, uh, you know, depression, and anxiety. So, um, Anytime you guys want to jump in, just kind of yeah. open up this conversation because I think it could go in a hundred different ways, but, uh, let's just get the ball rolling and, and see where we land on this. Um, I, the first thing I can say is that I think we we're all taught from a young age that stresses and anxiety are a constant, something that you'll always deal with. Um, that was taught in school. That's just something that we know that you'll always deal with stress. Right. Uh, it's about managing stress, not about getting rid of stress. And that's <clears throat> so that being a stable for our generation, it's only natural that now this generation coming in behind us would you know, take it to the next level and wear it as a badge and think that it's something that they can never get rid of. But I think the lie in the first place that we believed was that we'll always have anxiety and that we'll always have stress. I think so that's the first thing. So when you talk about always have anxiety and always have stress, uh, let's break that down a little bit. Cause right, like your dad, you got how many, five kids? Yeah. Okay. So five kids, yep. right? Like that, there is an amount of work that comes into being mm -hmm. a good husband and a mm -hmm. good dad with one kid. Right. You have five kids. Right. So, um, there's just, I have two boys, but I can't even imagine what having five kids right. in the house is like. Um, I don't know if you yourself would say that is stressful or if you would put another word to it. Um, but so what are we talking about here? When we're talking about stress, are we talking about the day in, the day out? I work nine to five, I raise kids. Are we talking about external things, like bigger things, like um, not that we need to d dive into this, but like current world affairs, the political state I think state it can be things, just you know? simple things. Um, so to, to define some terms so that everybody's on the same page, we right. can have some common ground to know what they're talking about. Um, our Webster's Dictionary defines anxiety as a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent or event or something with an uncertain outcome. Okay. So basically just worrying about something that we don't necessarily know what the outcome is going to be. And really, this is a fear that we create in our own mind because we don't know the future. Right. Right. So it's it's me sitting in traffic, um, l maybe late to work, mm -hmm. thinking about what the repercussions of that is going to be when I don't necessarily know exactly what the repercussions are going to be. I can only make up a certain situation in my mind. Mm -hmm. So um, if we look at things like like depression, depression is feelings of severe despondency or dejection. I think that's more, I think that's a more, a deeper, more emotional um, issue that we can touch on a little later. And then as far as um, fear is concerned, 
I think we all know what fear is. Um, An unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that something or someone is dangerous, likely to cause pain, or is a threat. Mm -hmm. Um, So... I think there's there's a, there's a ditch on both sides here. I think there's a healthy level of of fear that we can have to protect ourselves from some things, um, but I don't think anxiety would fall into that category, and I don't think depression would fall into that category at all. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus tells us not to be anxious for anything. Uh, Paul tells us not to be anxious for anything. Jesus tells us not to worry. So when you talk about having children and dealing with stress and mm-hmm. dealing just with the day-to-day life, a lot of our stress comes from the unknown. Um, a lot of our stress comes from individuals that we have to deal with that get in the way of what we want for ourselves, namely children sure, sure. sometimes, yeah, right? Yeah. So I think it all depends on how we look at our situations. And I guess we can talk mm-hmm. about um, situations individually and what they look like and how we can deal with them and how our relationship with God should make us look different than the world when we deal with them. Uh, Nick, what do you got? Chime in there. I think stress also, uh, a lot of the time, is attached to things that we care about. Uh, For example, if one of our our children, I don't have any children yet, so I can't imagine, but if your child's in the hospital, I I think it's, of course, it's in God's hand, but I don't think it's necessarily a sinful thing to be stressed about it. Um, If you're making stress your God, then I think that's that's a different story, but... um, Let's say Paul, for example, writing to uh, the Philippians not to be anxious. So they were, of course, dealing with with anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's a Christian, should should a Christian deal with depression and anxiety? I think that anyone can get it. I don't, I don't think it's because we're Christian we're immune to, and we're going to get into clinical later, sure. I'm assuming too. But I don't think it means we're immune uh, from those things. I think it. I think it just matters how we go about it if we're willing to to give it to God. Um, and, and you brought up the identity crisis a little earlier. I just wanted to touch on that. I think that we need to be teaching the younger generation that their identity is in Christ mm-hmm. if they're a child of God. Um, so that, that, I think, is my ultimate point when it comes to a uh, number of, of identity issues, is that our identity is in Christ. Sure. It's not in a sexual orientation. It's not in a gender. It's not... Uh, it's not in stress or depression, but it's in it's in Jesus alone. Right. So let me um, j- just for the sake of argument here, and I'll let you, both you guys kind of chime in on this. So we, we talk about how we don't believe necessarily that uh, that our identity needs to be found in Christ, and we should not make fear, depression, anxiety. Those things should never become our God, right? But we do talk about like you use the example of your child's in uh, the hospital. Okay. I think as Christians, we're all taught to say it's in God's hands, right? Uh, and you know we accept the prayer and all those things, but. It would be very understandable for, I, I can't imagine any Christian who would not understand the, the idea of my children or my child is in a really tough spot right now in the hospital, medical, something's happening, for you not to have a little bit of worry, for you not to have a little bit of anxiety. So the question that I have with that is, is this a case by case thing? Do we get to measure what level of fear, anxiety, and quote unquote depression in our personal lives is the, is the bar or... Is there a way that we can kind of have a blanket understanding for how a Christian should deal with these things? Um, because I'm very cautious about any time a Christian can say that anything is just dependent on me and how I feel about a certain topic, you know. Uh, because I think we would all agree at the end of the day that the scriptures should have the final word, right? not, our, not our own feelings. So I guess my question to both of you is, where's the line? 
Where's the line where anxiety becomes a sin or fear or depression becomes a sin that it has become your God? Is it an individual line or is there is there more common ground that we can find as Christians and say, okay, uh, if you were of the opinion that any fear or any anxiety, we start walking that, you know, kind of on the wrong side of the fence. So how do you guys feel about that? Where where should an individual say the line is? Where, where are they crossing that line to where it's like, okay, Christ is clearly not becoming your identity? Well, if, if you look through uh, the Psalms, for example, I love the structure of the Psalms. They're always David saying, God, how could you let this happen? And then he realizes, oh, wait a minute, I'm yelling at God. And then he ends up praising God. Um, and I think the ultimate question is, you look at Psalm Psalm 22, for example. Uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me is how, is how David starts that psalm. But he doesn't trade that for God. He doesn't trade that fear and that worry. Uh, even when he's surrounded by murderers, he doesn't trade it for God. He goes on to say, even when he's stressed, even when he feels uh, like he, his life is at risk, he still goes on and says, God, you are the enthroned one of Israel. Uh, you are the highest. He still goes on to say that. He doesn't, he doesn't degrade God. So I think that we have to be, as far as a line, um, I think we just have to be careful not to trade our worries for, uh, for God himself. He can handle uh, anything we're going through. We don't know how he handles it. We don't know why things happen to us, but he is ultimately in control. So here, I'm going to throw this in here, and this might be a little controversial, but from what I see in the Bible, I don't believe that we're supposed to have any kind of anxiety. I would actually side with you on that. Yeah. That's where I like So I'm, let's go to... Uh, Luke 12:22, and right here we see Jesus speaking to his disciples and Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat right. or about your body, what you will wear for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. And then he says, consider the ravens, how God feeds them. He talks about the birds, consider the wildflowers and how they grow the grass that grows today and tomorrow is tossed into the fire. Um, and he says, even they are clothed better than Solomon. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, you of little faith. Mm-hmm. So he, he really uh, chastises um, the disciples for thinking the way they, they do. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, here, what I could say is I can't use other Christians as an example of where God desires for me to be. Because mm-hmm. holy and blameless at the end of the day and uh, James talks about our trials perfecting us, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I can say that I'm not going to, I can't compare myself with other Christians and say, well, you know, when if your kid was in the hospital, you would be tripping out. Right. And you know what? If my child was in the hospital, I, I, I would worry. I, I have to uh, admit that I would worry. But that doesn't mean that I should be worrying. Mm-hmm. Right, I think that, right. that God, through that challenge, is trying to lead me somewhere. And if I truly understand his word, my child's not mine anyway. Mm-hmm. My child belongs to God. I'm just a steward. So just like, just like I'm, I'm a steward of my own life, if I present myself to him as a living sacrifice, I have no control over anything. Mm-hmm. I should release control to him. And I think this day and age, we have this type of Christianity that, um, you know, we we take our cues more from the world and from the culture mm-hmm. rather than what the Bible strictly says more from a preacher and what the preacher interprets the world as rather than what the Bible says. So if I'm worrying, I'm, I'm in sin mm-hmm. because I'm doubting what, who God says that he is to me. Right. If he says, this is who I am and I'll provide for you, I'll clothe you and I'm good and I'm faithful. <clears throat> Then if I worry, I'm actually calling what he says 
his words into question. And I'm saying, God, are you really who you say you are? Can you handle this one? Because I don't know if you can handle this one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that could be doubt. On the other side of this, where I find that you can be in a safe place for us to be in, in something God uh, says a position we can take is, uh, God, what are you doing right now? Right. Not instead of questioning if he's even around, say, you know, what are you doing in my life right, right. now? Right. And really him driving me through my child <laughs> to my knees to for his wisdom. Right. So it would be the difference between, okay, to use the example of your child's in the hospital, it's the mm-hmm. difference between like, oh God, why did you let this happen? Or why did you right. do this to me? Versus what are you trying to show me right now? Right. W- what's exactly. happening here? Yep. You know, but man, you're talking about that's Jesus type faith. That's yep. Jesus type perspective. Yep. Um, and I, and I love what Paul says in Romans five talking about, and not only that, but we glory in tribulation mm-hmm. because it's the tribulation that creates perseverance and the perseverance character and character right. hope exactly. and hope doesn't disappoint. So what Paul right. is really setting up here is the way you view things, your perspective mm-hmm. on the matter is absolutely what you'll gain out of the matter. Exactly. So if we believe uh, that fear, anxiety, depression should be a part of our lives, then that is the filter we're seeing our life through. And that is the results we're going to, to, it's the well we're pulling from. But if our perspective is, okay, God, but what are you doing right now? What are you trying to show me? What perseverance, you know, what, what am I, what do you have for me on the other side of this? But it gets tricky though, right? Because Mm -hmm. let's say that child dies. Yep. Now what? Right. Right. Because yeah. I came to bring you life and life more right. abundant, right? So, so now we start having these conflicts of like uh-huh. my feelings versus I see Jesus being this advocate for life. And I know right. I, I don't want to go too and he deep. He loves me so much. Right, right, right. He wouldn't want me to have any kind of pain or suffering, right? Right, right. Yeah. And, and I don't want to get happy. too deep into the uh, like the predestination. I don't want to, because I feel like we could go That's down that road. It's, a, it's another conversation we <laughs> yeah, could definitely have. Definitely. But, but so, so how do you do that? So, okay, there, there's a difference between having anxiety. Mm-hmm. And and maybe fear and and, and depression in a situation where like things could go wrong. Right. What about when things do do go go wrong? wrong? When it actually, Uh when all the stuff hits the fan and, and that child dies or you lost your job or you can't pay your bills or your spouse left you or cheated, what happens then? You know, and, and how, how as Christians can we keep a level head to be able to, um, and I love, uh, I've heard multiple pastors say this, instead of reacting to a situation, Mm -hmm. how can we respond to that? How can we respond to those situations? How can we keep fear, anxiety, and depression in check in the midst of when it all goes south? Well, I would would have to say um, we always have to know God is ultimately in control. I would like to clarify my my point a little bit as well um, when I brought up Psalm 22. Mm -hmm. So my intention wasn't to say that we have the right to be anxious. Right, right, um, That we have the right right, to worry. No, I'm sorry. Certainly I would not go against (laughs) Jesus' direct teaching. Um, But but my point is it's inevitable that King David suffered. King David worried. King David, we're going to. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are we going to do when it happens? Are we going to... Uh, are we going to tell God he's not big enough and not good enough? Amen. No, we don't have the right to be anxious and, and worry. However, when things do go wrong, um, to kind of answer your question, mm-hmm. when things do go wrong, we have to understand that sometimes God designs it to be that way. I mean, let's look at Numbers 12. God gives Miriam leprosy. God gives her leprosy. This isn't like Job where he allowed Satan to, to test Job. He gives her leprosy to bring her to repentance. So what do we say about mm-hmm. that? Yeah, I mean, and I think that's a good point. Um, obviously, if we were having another conversation right now, I'd want to bring up Old Covenant versus New Covenant. We could we could flesh that out later, but uh, I, I think that's fair because I've heard so many Christians, I don't know, uh, you know, regardless of denomination, because um, it does get tricky, and I think there's no way we can avoid this. When we say God is controlled, right, when we talk about the sovereignty of God, 
And this is where uh, I, I might say his name wrong because I always get it backwards. Neil Tyson DeGrasse, or is it Neil, Neil DeGrasse, DeGrasse Tyson? Tyson yeah. Okay, yeah. So him. I love like watching Nova and stuff like that that he's done on Science Channel. Just some of it interests me. Yeah. I'm not saying he's like he's the philosopher or yeah. whatever, but I saw him on it was either Kimmel or something like that. It was a mm-hmm. late night talk show, mm-hmm. and some I don't know how they landed here, but they asked him like, "Are you an atheist? Do you believe in God?" And he said, um, he he hit the the typical atheist vein of um, if there is a God. He, he's either all powerful mm-hmm. or he's all good, mm-hmm. but he can't be both because if he's all powerful, uh, then he can't be all good, right? Because hurricanes happen because children get mm-hmm. cancer right. and, and all this other stuff. So I think there's, there's no way we can really have this conversation without saying, what does it mean that God is control? What does that sovereignty mean? And how, how does someone's child die? And I know we're using that like really extreme example, but how do we, hey, how do we life. place that inside of God's sovereignty because that that is a huge hang up for people if, if I could jump in there yeah uh, just before we get off that point of Neil deGrasse Tyson it's it's almost shocking to see people using that age-old argument over and over and over again um, one of my favorite quotes by by him is he says you know I'm, I'm not into labels I'm a scientist right right yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay. he labels himself right. as a scientist right but right. You, you can see the contradictions um because a lot of these times, I, I do hold a view that I think is scriptural, that nobody is seeking God unless they've been regenerated. Um, and you can see that these people, they're not searching for truth. They're, they're trying to prove Christianity wrong. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's always the truth they're going after. Like you say, I don't know how this came up how, when he asked him, are you an atheist? It's probably, that was probably the point of the interview. How can we attack right. Christianity in some way, shape, or form? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that Ravi Zacharias, who's one of my favorite Christian speakers, he says, Every philosophy and religion offers an explanation or a reason for suffering. Christianity offers us a person. Mm-hmm. So we get to walk. He, he never promised us that we're not going to suffer. This is a claim that people put on the Bible. He, in fact, we live in a sinful world. Of course, there's going to be suffering. He never promised us that we won't suffer. He promised right. that he'll walk through us. Yeah, he'll walk through it with us. In Psalm 23... God didn't promise that we won't walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He, he promised he'd go with us. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we can always hold on to, even in clinical depression. Um, I mean, I know people who have committed suicide who I believe were saved. I could be wrong. Um, but, you know, we can always lean on him. We can always walk through suffering with him, even though it's not going to be easy. It's not going right. to be fun. And it seems that, uh, and I think there's multiple times with the one scripture that I pulled up um, in Second Timothy, it seems that the concept of, especially in the New Testament, um, the concept of suffering is actually kind of a preamble to being in this thing called relationship with Christ, right? Because Second Timothy says, if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. Right. So, so there's like a pre-qualification, like the suffering comes either before or in the midst of getting to reign with him in this thing called the kingdom. So, um, but, but on a practical level, right? Like, let's say you're talking to somebody who maybe, you know, they're your Christmas Easter Christians, right? Like they might go every once in a while. They might pop on the joy of him every once in a while, but they, you know, they're not, they, they're not the joy. Bible nerds like us, right? Like, like we, we love theology. We eat this stuff up. How, what do you say to someone? Like someone who, who doesn't eat this stuff up like we do. What do you say to someone when when these things happen in their lives? Because it's easy for us to talk about this on a theologi- theological large scope. But when you, it happens yeah. to somebody, and when it happens to somebody who doesn't necessarily have all of this rambling around in their head constantly, how do you communicate this? And, and how do you hope to, how do you communicate this in such a way that it could also, where it could impact that individual or that family? I think going, not to get away from that point, but... Um, to tie that in with what we were talking about before with DeGrasse Tyson is knowing God is the basis of all of it. 
Right. It's an understanding of who God is. Um, just like anybody, people out in the world um, that wouldn't claim to be Christians, like DeGrasse Tyson, and even Christians, people that um, say they're Christians within the church, we have this pop culture idea of who God is. Mm-hmm. And we don't necessarily take time to go to the Word to find out who that is. Because like you say... We're nerds. We're like Bible nerds right. because we actually want to discuss this stuff. Because but we care about the I, Bible. Right, right. Because, I, but I, but um, the Bible says that His children love His Word and sure. love Jesus, and we seek to know Him. So part of seeking to know God um, is because you want to be able to trust Him too. Mm-hmm. When He says that we're supposed to be completely dependent on Him, then you can't depend on anybody that you don't know. Right. You can't trust somebody that you don't know. So it really comes down to knowing him. And then once we know who God is, through his word, we understand that he allows his children to suffer so he can he can draw them to him. Um, Job 36, 15 is a great uh, piece of scripture that says, but those who suffer, he delivers in their suffering. He speaks to them in their affliction. Mm-hmm. So he actually opens up our eyes and ears to who he is through our suffering. And he purges us and purifies us through our, our our suffering. So the only thing that I could say to individuals that aren't believers, that live in the United States of America, that have a uh, Judeo-Christian uh, foundation to their belief system and their life and who they are, all I could tell them is to gain a better understanding of your circumstance and the challenge that you're going, to, going through, you need to know God. Mm-hmm. You need to know the God who created you and why he allowed you to go through something like this. And, of course, there's a way that I would go about doing that. I wouldn't just say, sure. you need to know God. Now, get out of here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you need to go, go get saved. <laughs> right, right. You know, mm-hmm. um, th- but but I would, I would really explain to them um, the truth. And right. coming to terms with the truth is, is what we need to understand. So um, uh, just to kind of interject here. So mm-hmm. uh, Candy on our live chat, um, she asked a good question. I think ties in right here. Sure. So what steps should a Christian take to deal with these issues in your opinion? No, if I could, just before I answer that, yeah. I'd like to just build off of your point um, that uh, there has been a caricature painted of Christianity um, that it's supposed to be a certain way. That is how the world sees it. Mm-hmm. Um and just a couple of weeks ago, I had a student come up to me, and he had he had scraped his leg. He had a bloody leg, and he said, "You know, this probably happened because I did something bad." Oh, yeah. And I was like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Man, but that's that's a that's a Hindu, that's a Buddhist belief, karma. It's the same with uh, we're supposed to be ridding of suffering. That that's not what we believe. Um, and I think we have to be careful of of thinking that way and people thinking that way because it's kind of written into our society. Karma. I've even talked to atheists. Um, I was working at Target one time, and there was a salad that had gone bad. And I worked in the food department. We were supposed to remove it. One of my buddies, who is an atheist, he says, you know, I'm going to leave it there. Maybe that's somebody's karma. I was like, where am I going to First <laughs> right. of all, <laughs> a couple things. First right. of all, um, you know, I think we have to be careful with the presuppositions that people bring in uh, to the church. And, of course, when they're looking at Christianity. Well, let me, let me just pause there for a second, because I'm not super familiar with either of your upbringing and Christian background. But I can tell you, uh, growing up in the more charismatic world, um, that I was straight taught that, that 
bad things happen to me because I do bad things. Right. That yep. that is what I was taught in my youth groups, mm-hmm. in my college groups, and even as an adult. Unfortunate. And, and then that's a chain <laughs> that I physically right. had to like with Jesus like navigate and break because so much of things that happened in my life, I was like, it's because I'm a horrible person. It's because I've done X Y Z, and it and wasn't. We are horrible people, but that's not the point. Yeah. But so, but I think that because you talked about how that mindset, even though it may be a Buddhist mindset or a Hindu mindset or whatever, uh, how it could be an external mindset. I would argue that largely it can be internal of the church, that there are churches and whole denominations very much teaching that, that bad things happen to you because you've sinned. I literally heard when Hurricane Katrina uh, hit New Orleans, I heard Christians on social media saying Mm -hmm. that happened because of all the voodoo there, that happened because of everything that that town uh, is engaged with. So God... Compared it to Sodom and Gomorrah. Right, so God sent his wrath to knock it out. And that goes back to your point. When we're we're called nerds, um, if they were reading scripture, if they they really... You know, I I do have... um, I wouldn't go as far as to try to play God here, but I do have a genuine concern of salvation for people who have no interest in, in Scripture after they say they've come to Christ. Sure. No, well, uh, because I if agree. if we believe, and if you believe what the Scripture says where he is the Word, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, then if you don't have a relationship with the Word, you, you don't have a relationship with him. Absolutely. And, and having a relationship with him is a prerequisite to salvation, right? And, and it's a special revelation. He gave us this whole book on right. him. <laughs> right. But we still decide to make up our own. And that's another conversation for another day. But sure, a couple sure. More problems so can, can, we, can we get back to Candy's question? What steps should a Christian take to deal with these issues in their life? So you, 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 you uh, Candy, I'm not uh, inferring that you're talking about yourself here, but just for a hypothetical sake, Candy's saying, um, hey, I deal with some of these issues. What steps should I take to combat this? What steps should I take to start to shift my perspective so that fear, depression, anxiety don't rule over my life? Is Candy a first name? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a pretty cool name. I would say, first of all, do what we're, we're commanded to do. Pray. Don't worry. You know, it sounds like a cliche because we hear it over and over, but don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Start uh, with prayer. Mm-hmm. Start with talking to God for yourself. Don't just don't even just take our word for it. Go home. That's that's a great thing about having a relationship with Christ. If you don't, you know, ask him who he is. Ask him to reveal himself to you because there's we're not special sitting here. Mm-hmm. Um, he will reveal himself to you if you're desiring to know him. Uh, but pray. First of all, pray. Mm-hmm. Second of all, if you found your identity in Christ, have confidence in that. Um, it's not always going to be easy, but he promises to walk through it with you. He promises to walk through any suffering and pain with you, and he's going to make you better as a result of it. He's going to prune you as a result of it. I don't know how or why, but I know that that's true. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I hear you, um, and, and you, I think we're all involved in ministry in one form or another. Um, for I think it's easy for us to say those who are involved in ministry and and Mm -hmm. pouring into people to say, Hey, go find your identity in Jesus. But to a lot of people, that's, that's a foreign language. Like what, what does that even mean? You know, like, what does that mean? Find my, you know, it's like, it's like a general statement that is Mm -hmm. absolutely 1 million percent true. But when we're talking about practical steps, what does that mean to find myself in Jesus? How do I even go about doing that? Well, we've been lost in a world of of sin that the Bible says we're dead in our sin. Uh, But scripture says that when we're saved, we become children of God. I mean, imagine if you were the the king of England's son, or you're the, what is that? The prince? You would identify with the king of England. You'd have no problem doing that. When we're called children of God, that's our new identity. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're, we're children of God, uh, and that's who we are. Uh, there's a new song about that. I hear it all the time. Who, the, I think it's Hillsong. 
Uh, I don't know. Right. I keep saying it over and over again. We're, we're a child of God. Oh, they, yeah, that's uh, Bethel. It's, yeah. Is yeah, that yeah, Bethel? We're, yeah. we're children of God. Um, that's who we are. And, and that's what scripture tells us. Right. So um, do you have anything on that? Yeah. Okay, I, go for I it. Just wanna, <clears throat> I just want to, if somebody's looking for practical ways to um, walk somebody that's not a Christian through a struggle that they're going through that leads them to Christ... I think the best thing is to explain to them the truth. So first, a Christian have to be, have to be prepared. Um, first Peter three fifteen definitely to be able to give an answer. And that's first, um, sanctifying the Lord in your heart. So always being prepared. And that's through studying the word and knowing what the word says about the God that we serve and about the world that we live in, mm-hmm. because we have this perspective of the world that we've gained. Um, Colossians two, eight says it's the, it's man's philosophy. It's a de- it's a deception, and we live within this system that the devil has created and blinded us from the truth. Mm-hmm. So, uh, somebody's natural reaction that's not saved is to believe the lie based on what they're going through. Mm-hmm. So, let's say I hate to keep saying this, but let's say one of their a child passes. Mm-hmm. The first thing is to look internally, and and and. One, look at your own suffering, and then if you if you acknowledge God, blame God for it, and mm-hmm. ask Him why He didn't save the child or why He didn't do something, and that would just be an incorrect view of who God is and what my life is about. Jesus said that we should always be prepared for that time when death happens, because we know that circumstances like the one Katrina mm-hmm. or or nine eleven and. Uh, bless all the people that went through that situation and lost family members and things like that. But the whole point is to be prepared for those situations. And but on top of that, if the pain that we go through is meaningless because there's nothing after our life and there is no God, which means there's nothing after our life, mm-hmm. then our pain is purposeless mm-hmm. and it serves no purpose. Mm-hmm. But if there is a God, then our pain does serve a purpose. For and that that's matter, everything can, is purposeless. Yeah. Right. And that's what we can we can help that individual understand is that uh, we can share our testimony and how God has given us life and purpose mm-hmm. because of, because he created us for that. Sure. So when we're talking to these individuals, we have to let them know that there is a purpose for their life. One, God, God fashioned them and formed them for a specific purpose that he desires for them to serve. And at the same time, there is a purpose for this challenge that they're going through. And the only w- way it means something and the only way they'll be joined with that individual that they lost as well is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, there's a way based on their situation to walk them through that. But that's the only hope for an individual. Sure. Without God and the knowledge of who he is and who we are, there is no hope. Sure, sure. So, so they might as well give up if that's... Yeah, that's the position. So I I obviously and and I think maybe you've gotten this from me and and Nick, if we get to know each other over time, you'll get this from me as well. I I have quite a chip on my shoulder with the church and by the church, I mean, almost all of it, Um, regardless of denomination. I think we've just done a really good job at not always communicating the correct things or maybe understanding the correct things, but not executing correctly. So um, but, you know, I want to kind of go back to the idea of so you have a, a Christian who needs practical help. Right. Right. And let's say, let's say they're coming from my background, my denomination Mm -hmm. where you're a bad person. So this bad thing happened to you. Um, and man, uh, I can't tell you how many examples of that I have, but, um, so someone in my background, 
going through something. Maybe it's their child in the hospital, mm-hmm. right? Their pastor, they go to their pastor, they go to their prayer group, they go to their small group, whatever. And they, they lay this on their community's feet and say, this is what I'm going through. What I've typically seen, and maybe you guys have different experiences and backgrounds, um, but what I've seen from where I come from is we prescribe a regimen for them, right? Mm-hmm. You need to go to counseling. Right. And you need to go sit down with a pastor or a counselor, or maybe you even need to go actually see a licensed, uh, you know, a therapist or a psychiatrist or something like that. And maybe, maybe even medicine is, is uh, maybe in order for some of these things. So um, I guess what I'm asking is um, internally inside of the church, um, I don't believe, and I know, and I, and I have talked about this before. I don't know how, I guess that's a better way to say it. I don't know how you're a Christian in 2018 and there's not a filter on your Christianity, right? Like, uh, you know, whether it's Calvinism, whether it's uh, wh- whatever it is, like, can you truly read the Bible without a filter? Is that even possible uh, now? Boy. Is it possible? Um, uh, and, and that's a whole nother well, story. But what I guess what the point I'm trying to get to is I- inside of that idea of I, I whatever. I understand what you're saying, like from a particular perspective or something that you've been taught by other right. people. Or and so, like that. but we're taught by the Bible to love our community, right? Our Christian art did not forsake the gathering, right? Like we're taught. So say you're from my background and we're somewhat brainwashed to like, Mm -hmm. how dare you go to that other church or that other (laughs) denomination, right? Like this is home base. And so you're going through something and what you're doing is you're putting your faith, your life, your soul in a lot of ways in the hands of people who are slapping a filter on what they think you should be doing right now. How does an individual navigate that, man? Because there are, can, can we at least agree that even if we don't want to call it a specific pastor or church or denomination, can we, can we agree that there's unhealthy Christianity out there? And okay. So, so if we, so if we can agree that there is unhealthy and you would even say most Christianity is unhealthy. What's called Christianity today? uh, Right. Fair, fair enough. How the heck does an individual Christian navigate that when they're going through the fire, man? I, I would say the number one is the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, like I said, I, I don't believe anybody's seeking God until they've been regenerated. I and mean, a lot of the times we get these teachings from different denominations and there, there are tons of denominations, but that well, doesn't mean that they're yeah. all equally. So let me pause you even right there because what you just said is great and it's mm-hmm. true, but the, even the idea of regeneration varies from church to church, from denomination yeah. to denomination. So even That's there, true. there's well, a variable, right? Absolutely. Well, and, and differences are going to come up, but if you, I would say start with scripture. Right. Um, start right. your argument. You most of the time, I'm, let's say the charismatic, I don't want to bash any charismatic. How most about of the it, time, I'm from I'm, there. I give you permission. I'm in a conversation with, I'm just using an example, charismatic person. I'm not usually getting scriptural references. I'm getting subjective references. I'm getting, well, I felt this, or I did this, and I had this. And I think experience is important to a degree, but it has to start with scripture. Um, it has to start with the Bible. And I think that, like I said, there are, there are many different denominations, but it doesn't mean that they're all, let's say oneness Pentecostals, for example, they don't even believe that the Trinity is three in one. They believe right. God doesn't have the power to be three in one. He manifests himself three different Three right. different ways and not at the same time. They have a big problem with Jesus' baptism right, right. Uh, when all three were present together. Um, but, I mean, it's things like that. Some churches aren't even teaching a core Bible message. They're not teaching solid doctrine. And if that's the case, um, I, I wouldn't expect them to have salvation. And I, again, I'm not God, but going by what Scripture says, I wouldn't mm-hmm. expect them to be saved. So I wouldn't expect the Holy Spirit working through them. You mean to tell them. me that there are... There are Christians out there that say that they're Christians that aren't Christians. <laughs> is that a trick is that question? Even, well, is that even and, and can I throw another wrench into that? Because I would say you have Christians. Let's just say there's two sides. We know there's way more than two sides of the Christianity spectrum, but let's uh-huh. just say there's two sides. Mm-hmm. 
both think that the other side is not Christians because they falter in their theology. You know, you you know, know? what? I, I, I would agree with you if I hadn't had certain experiences because there are Christians that believe that people that proclaim the gospel but don't follow, mm-hmm. don't, don't walk with Christ, that they're kind of like hibernating Christians. Okay. Because of because they actually proclaim Christ. And that's a that's a that's another one of those um uh But would you, you know, say that's a mainstream situations. idea? Yes. Okay. I would. I would no, say if, that's a mainstream idea because most people believe that if you just say you're a Christian, mm-hmm. you could, you know, you you could mess up sometimes and not mess up like in your thought life. Mm. Like actually go out and continuously cheat on do your spouse, the things that you yeah. used to do. Right. Proclaiming to be a Christian and going to church, but not really seeing a true life change or just not being active in the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. People that just come to church and go home don't want to go to Bible studies. They don't want to be, they don't have a desire, a sincere desire to be active in the church at all. Mm -hmm. They just see the church as, as an obligation. They go there to consume, Mm -hmm. you know, not to, not to be a working part of the body to provide other people with, um, with support. Mm -hmm. And so going back to your question of why somebody would, would come from a denomination into another denomination and what should they look for and how should they, um, you know what they should they should be looking for and how they should be treated uh i think a large failure of the church today and this is this is something that i wouldn't take myself away from but it's a conviction of the church and me as the church body is discipleship is like this uh, this other thing that you should do if you're like a super Christian, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like Robbie Zacharias, or if you're Chuck Swindoll or something like that, mm-hmm. then you have a discipleship ministry that's separate from your regular Sunday service and the main things that we need to do. Discipleship is what Christians do. Mm-hmm. It's a part of who Christians are leaders and disciplers. First as a man, Ephesians five twenty five says I'm the discipler of my wife mm-hmm. L- the way the same way Jesus washes me and sanctifies me with the word is the same way that I should treat my wife mm-hmm. so he's my head just like I'm the head of my wife and so I should treat my wife like a disciple when you realize when sorry when I realized that my wife was my disciple and not just somebody that I was married to now my obligation is to not only learn scripture for myself and to walk closer with Christ and be discipled by Christ through his word, but also when I go before Christ and Christ is looking at my wife and she's supposed to be spot with ble- without blemish and wrinkle, just like he's prepared me mm-hmm. and she looks all dingy and dirty. That means that I am not doing my job. Right. So I'm supposed to not only learn the scripture for myself, but so that I can I should fill myself with so much of the word that it should overflow and wash my wife. Right, right. And then Ephesians six talks about how a man is supposed to raise his children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So right there that looks like that I'm the leader of my household and I'm supposed to disciple my children. My children don't belong to me. They're not mine. I can't yell and scream at them like they belong to me. I shouldn't do that. If I see my children as disciples, especially my son, I treat my son in a way that I show him respect because I want him to respect me and to see me as somebody that he desires to follow, mm-hmm. not somebody that he has to follow. So as I train him 
and not treating him like a kid, but treating him like a man that's supposed to mirror what I'm supposed to do um, with my wife. He's supposed to be to his wife when he gets older and his children. If I constantly keep that in my mind while I'm raising him, then I treat my son with respect. To the best of my ability, I don't get frustrated and angry with him. I set parameters for him, and then when he gets out of, falls out of those guidelines, I correct him, mm-hmm. like God corrects me. And we put on our pack, grab our staff, right. and I walk life and show him my life as an example of a Christian, and say, hey, it's going to be painful, there are going to be pitfalls, but follow me, and if you listen to me and pay attention, then I'll show you the way. Right. So let me, let me pause and reset here. So for those of you who are, because I, I know we're having people kind of jump in and out. So we are talking about fear, depression, and anxiety mm-hmm. tonight and how Christians should deal with that. How we kind of got there, and that's yeah. on me, is because uh, the point I was trying to get to was there's so many different belief systems out there inside of Christianity. Yeah. There's so many filters in which we see the scriptures, in which we see Jesus, in which we see all of these things. So as a Christian going through whatever they're going through, they're dealing with these things right now in their, in their lives. Right. Um, how are they supposed to, and I really want to try to get back to the fear and depression, anxiety, but how are they supposed to navigate what kind of Christian they're supposed to be? Because if, if you Googled, if you just did 10 minutes of Googling about how should I feel about this one scripture, mm-hmm. pick any scripture, mm-hmm. you're going to get five different interpretations, Oh yeah, you know? So how does a Christian, whether you're a Pentecostal, whether you're reformed, whether you're whatever you are, uh, whether you're juggling snakes in a Baptist church somewhere, you know, like how do you come to Jesus and say, I want to know the real you, but I'm so afraid I'm caught in this thing called Christianity. I don't even know how to find the real you. And the only reason I'm asking that question is because just like that, how do we, but how do you, how do you get to start solving these problems, fear, depression, anxiety, if you're not even sure who the real Jesus is? I would say through the scripture, uniquely, specifically through the scripture. Um, and being, I, I don't think it's one thing in and of itself, because as somebody reads the scripture, um, here, let's go to Romans 12, one and two. I think that's a great, uh, a great scripture, um, for us to look at. And this allows us to know exactly what you're talking about. How do you know the will of God for your life? Mm-hmm. So Romans 12, one and two gives you three things that you should follow. It says first, um, give your body as a living sacrifice, which is a reasonable service. Sure. So present your body a living sacrifice. So you don't own yourself or make your own decisions anymore. The Lord directs you and, and you do what he wants you to do. Second, it says, be not conformed to this world. So what does conform mean? Mm-hmm. Conform means to, to uh, be like something or to take on the qualities or characteristics of something else. So, we shouldn't have the qualities and the characteristics of this world that we live in. And I'm not necessarily saying just the earth. I'm saying the culture mm-hmm. and the culture that we live in. So we live among it, but we're not involved in it. We're, we don't do the same thing that the culture does uh, because we're directed by the Lord. And at the same time, it also says uh, you should, your mind should be nude. You should be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm-hmm. And that's with the word, of course. So if we do those three things, the Bible says we'll know what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Mm-hmm. So if somebody wants to know what the will of God is for their life, and they're not going to be derailed by other people's opinions or their perspective on Scripture, then if they those three things are specifically your relationship between you and the Lord, 
and not necessarily your relationship with somebody else. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> candy has a question, and maybe I'll throw this one to you, Nick, so you can kind of jump in there. Is it the same candy? Uh, I'm sorry, not candy. I'm sorry, Kristen. Oh. I'm sorry, I, I misread here. Um, how do you help someone uh, that you think is experiencing fear, depression, anxiety, etc., that isn't asking you for help? So you see them struggling oh, in secret, but how do you help those people? Um, and, and I'm assuming, um, well, let's, let's actually take that in two different answers. Um, let's say one is a Christian, right? So you see a Christian struggling, um, and they're not asking for help, but you clearly see them struggling with this. How do you go about helping that Christian, Christian struggling. if they're a Christian? And then the second part of the question is if they're not a Christian, what do you do? Say maybe they're a family member or a, or a friend or a colleague or, or what have you. So mm-hmm. kind of take that in two different angles for me. How, how do so you... let me start with the non-Christian. I think we, we talked a lot about that. I think the main thing is introducing them to Christ or else you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you can always do is, is pray. What I, what I heard one time, I think it was James McDonald who said this. Uh, he said, don't pray for the end, pray toward the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, instead of praying, you know, not that there's anything wrong with this, but instead of praying, God, I want this person to be saved, you know, pray that he'll give you an opportunity, a discussion mm-hmm. to point that person to Jesus. Um, and I know we talked about that quite a bit, so I'll, I'll go into the other one. What do we do if it's a believer, um, if it is a Christian? First of all, I think just like Anaya talked about, this is where discipleship is so important. Uh, this is where it's so important to have genuine relationships with people in your church, um, not just a Sunday morning type thing, but the, the church is not the building, the church is us. Mm-hmm. Um, so to have genuine relationships with them, um, now, I guess it would depend on what you mean. If they're struggling and they say, okay, well... Well, let's let's just take it to depression. You know, we're talking about a Christian now, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, uh, maybe it's just a, a another uh, mom, maybe you're a mom, maybe you see another mom in church every Sunday, and... And, and you know, you're a mom in this scenario, yeah. Uh, and, and you say, you know another parent, let's just say another parent, who's struggling with depression, and but you know that they're doing their best to kind of keep it under wraps, but you know they're struggling with this. But they're they not coming. Right, because, I mean, obviously shame and guilt and all that condemnation comes in. But So they're struggling with this thing. You can see them battling with it, uh, but for some reason or another, they're, they're kind of trying to sweep it under the rug or, or what Here, have you. Here's what I wouldn't do first. I wouldn't give them the, the spiel that you need to love yourself more. Mm-hmm. Um, nowhere in Scripture does it say that. I, I think what we need to do is point them to God. Uh, we need to point them to Christ. He's the only one who can deal with it. And again, we don't know why things happen. We don't know what the reason is, but we know that God is always there. Um, secondly, I, I think that we really need to, um, like I said, have relationships, uh, get them involved. And in, if we have a small group at your church, get them involved in a small group, a social setting where they'd be comfortable. Um, obviously, there's a number of factors. It could be that they don't know anybody. They don't have anyone they're comfortable with. Uh, I'm, I'm a youth pastor. What me and my wife will do is we'll go every once in a while to uh, to a Starbucks with a student. I'll obviously, I'll bring a boy student. She would bring sure. a girl student, not vice versa. Um, but we would go to a Starbucks or something like that. And, and oftentimes, they're going to... Uh, they're going to open up to you about things they wouldn't open up to their parents about. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to tell me things because they trust me. That's a key word. They trust me that they wouldn't tell their parents about. Uh, and, and what I always do is I point it back to to Christ. For example, uh, my wife had met with a student. Actually, we were both there for this one. Um, not to be too controversial, but sh- she was interested in, in transgender. She brought that up, and that's something that's very common. We have never seen that before until just recently. Uh, but our main purpose... W- it was that your identity is in Christ. Like, that's where you're found. That's where you live. 
um, when we're told to abide in Jesus, the, the, the Greek word for abide basically means to make your home in. Uh, we have the right to make our home in Christ, uh, to love him, to know him more. And that's the only thing that's going to that's going to help us. Just like Anaya said, if they're not saved, then our only hope is that they get saved. We can't tell them how to deal with it because they're sinful just like we are. They're going to fail. But if they have God, they have someone to lean on. Uh, one of my favorite books is The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and toward the end of the book, he he had a quote. There was a guy who, who was supposed to, it was an analogy. It was like a bus ride from, from hell to heaven. And there was an analogy. This guy who was supposed to represent Jesus uh, said to the man uh, who, who was struggling, he said, I can't necessarily carry you, but you can lean on me the whole way. And I think Jesus gives us that. And I think in Matthew 11, he tells us that if if... If what we're holding is too heavy for us, if we can't handle it, we go to him. And if I could, I don't want to get on topic, off topic, but if I could just quickly, uh, there's a common thing that goes around. We see it all the time. I've seen it on my Facebook mm-hmm. where people say, uh, God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you, mm-hmm. have you guys seen that sure, before? Sure, sure. So I, I just wanted to read a quick, a quick passage from 2 Corinthians. It says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope, and he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So we have Paul basically saying here, God gave me more than I could handle so we, that we would rely on him. Sure. And, and another key word there is prayer. You must help us by prayer. We underestimate that. Uh, when I went into ministry as a youth, uh, youth minister, I heard all the time, I would ask people, well, you know, what's the most important thing? I, also, I always thought they had the secret ingredient. I thought, I thought they were lying because they would always say prayer. I'm like, no, I already know that. But really, what, what do we need to do? But, but, but seriously, though. But, but seriously, come yeah. on, dude. We're, we're over that. <laughs> but, you know, I learned that it really is prayer. Uh, prayer is powerful. I mean, God is the one who answers our prayers. What more could we ask for? Um, especially if we're going to get other people praying for us. And, and back to the non-Christian, if I could tie this in. Don't think that my prayers or Anaya's prayers or uh, Billy Graham's prayers were more powerful than anybody else's prayer. Uh, we're not special. Anybody has the right to to go to Christ, to talk to him. Uh, he he knocked down that wall that was in between us and God that now we can go to him and have a living relationship with him. And I would encourage anyone listening to do that, you know, open up your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I think we can get you one. Sure. Uh, you, you can go online right now, Bible gateway, the Bible app. Uh, there's so many ways to, to, to get God's word today. And one of my favorite quotes, it, it's by, I can never remember the guy's name, Carl, Carl Barth. I don't even know who that is. He says, I have read many books. <laughs> I have read many books, but the Bible reads me. Um, and and I, I'm pretty confident that that's true in, in anyone's life who really cares about Scripture and really does read the Bible, that the Bible reads you. Uh, you don't need to tell it anything. Uh, so I would encourage you to get your hands in a Bible and talk to Jesus yourself. Ask him who he is. Ask him to, to reveal himself to you. And he's done a significant amount of that in Scripture. I think that I can add to that. There's a couple of things that you touched on um, with the non-Christian struggling. Um, one, the, the world 
tells us to look at ourselves, and it says things like that uh, God will give, won't give you more than you can handle. But but in our narcissistic age that we have right now, um, there's an article that was written by Leon F. Seltzer. He's a he's a psychology professor, um, and he wrote an article in Psychology Today called "Self-Absorption: The Root of All Psychological Evil," and he says what was most fascinating to me here is that I haven't seen and seen discussed by writers on the subject just how many psychological dysfunctions can be accurately understood as maladies of self-absorption for a variety of phobic anxiety and obsessive compulsive impairments to many depressive disturbances including bipolar disorder um, to various addictions post-traumatic stress disorder even and most of the personality disorders self-absorption can be seen as playing a major if not the dominant role so any effective treatment of these dysfunctions needs to include significantly significantly reducing these obsessive self-centered and self-defeating tendencies and it's so amazing that in an age where it's all about us all the time Mm -hmm. that we're seeing an increase in the type of psychotropic drugs that are given out uh, to not only teenagers, uh, not only adults, but but young children. Uh, a study said that half a million children in the U.S. are currently taking antipsychotic drugs. Children from low-income families. Are what, what was that number again? It half a million. Half a million. Okay. Yeah. So children from low-income families. So sitting in an area where we are now are four times as likely as privately insured children to receive antipsychotic right. drugs. So, let me let me yeah. pause there for a second cuz I, I just we'll go for about 10 more minutes here yeah. uh, but uh, let's let's just go hard for a minute. Yeah. All right. <laughs> just for the sake of controversy. Now, right. uh, and I just want to um, I know there's a few more viewers if if you guys have questions feel free to shoot them to us. We're going to try to do this in about 10 minutes but uh, if you got something uh, feel free to throw it at us. Um I I can't remember if we said this at the beginning of the podcast or if we said it right before we started. Um, We all don't agree on everything. And we probably never will agree on every single thing, right? And that's okay because we've all chosen to say, but we respect each other. And it absolutely has no no impact on how we feel about each other, right? Um, I can respect the fact that your opinions differ than mine. So I'm going to bring up a controversial issue and let's see how we land on this. Um, And, uh, you know, maybe me and you will meet in the parking lot afterwards. Right. should Christians be taking uh, anti-fear, uh, anti-depressives? Uh, should they be taking anti-anxiety medications? Is uh, I'll just throw a big statement out there. Uh-huh. Is is the phrase Jesus is bigger than any drug we could put in our body? Uh-huh. Is that overbearing? Is that is that too much? Is that no. hostile towards people who are on medication for these things? No, I don't think so at all. I think it's I think it's true. I do think Jesus is bigger than the medications, but. It's not just one-sided here. God gave us a body that that gets sick. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the trials that we go through sometimes are emotional. Sometimes they're physical. Sometimes you lose an arm, and that's what makes your life tough. Sometimes you might lose a hormone, and that might okay. make your life tough. Okay. And either way, I think there there's a spiritual side to it, but there can also be a physical side. But just because there's a physical side to it with a chemical or some type of um, chemical imbalance doesn't mean that there isn't a spiritual side to this or there's a spiritual purpose in what's now, going on. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't really dug into this and, and it's something that I want to think about more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've heard uh, mm-hmm. that 
typically with any emotional or chemical imbalance, there's a lot of people out there uh, that would say that that is directly tied to yep. a spiritual attack or okay. oppression or whatever you want to. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying that's from the devil, not just the devil, but it's, it's oppression. It's uh -huh. spiritual oppression, okay. principalities, the devil, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, because obviously those are not attributes of God, right? Like God is not making you depressed or fearful or, or anxious in the way that we're talking about. Right. So, um, so I, I know what you're referring to. Joyce Myers teaches about that. She calls it spiritual foreboding. I think it is. Okay. Um, now I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in complete agreement with that. I mean, if you look at the Old Testament, the people who literally lived their life for God, uh, Job, for example, uh, Job had suffering, depression, all, all kinds of things. His family was, was taken away, inflicted on him. You have Jeremiah, mm -hmm. who was called the weeping prophet. Um, he, was, he, he seems to be utterly depressed. You have Elijah. Um, and so you, you have a number of, yeah. of people in the Old Testament who seem to be very, very uh, depressed. And, and I think a lot of the times these things can be uh, clinical. I think like Anaya was getting at, it's like, you could be you could be missing something. I mean, it's like missing an arm. It's a physical mm -hmm. it's a physical thing. Um, now, my personal view is that I think I think that antidepressants are our last resort, uh, very last resort. But I wouldn't discount them. I mean, let's say if you get I, I think one of the main things is a lot of times people will say, well, you're depending on that instead of God. Mm -hmm. uh, if you drink too much coffee, you're depending on that instead of God. But God God has ordained physical dependence. I mean, I'm not going to stop eating and drinking water and say, well, I want to just depend on God. I'm going to die. Unless we're um, fasting, right? Like yeah. 40 days in the desert. For you know. a couple days. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, if we take ibuprofen for a headache, I mean, I think the question is, are, are you honoring God through his means? Mm -hmm. um, of course, we can put anything. We can make right. anything in life an idol. Like, is I it dependence on God or is it on that? Is it on that thing to make me feel better? Or yeah. is it dependence really on God while well, I do exactly. something and I, and I to, you know, alleviate some of the pain that I'm going through? But, but I do think there's a difference, right? And I think it all has to do with the perspective. So I might take an Excedrin or an Advil or an ibuprofen or something if I stub my toe or mm -hmm. if I get a headache or something. Right. But what I am saying is that this is a temporary fix because I do believe that my body should not be experiencing. This is just right. a quick, you know, okay. or, or, or a cup of coffee, right? Like, mm -hmm. man, I stayed up way too late last night. I got all right. this work to do today. I'm going to get a, an espresso and I'm going to be right. on my way. But mm -hmm. my identity is not that espresso. Right. My identity is not that coffee. That is my fear with prescription drugs is that I know people especially my generation, uh, and I was big on pills when I was a teenager and things like that, I know how easy it is to make that feeling mm -hmm. or that solution your long-term identity. And that's right. what scares me about prescription drugs. Well, I, let me put, on from a secular position, there's um, a psychiatrist, a Harvard professor called uh, Elvin Simerad, and he says the most of human suffering is related to love and loss. Right, and that, uh, that the job of a therapist is to acknowledge the experience and bear the reality of life with all its pressures and heartbreak. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to veer away from um, medicines. So he says the the source of suffering are in the lies that we tell ourselves, and people can never get better without knowing um, what they know and feeling what they feel. So that even coincides with uh, James eleven that says, "As you know, we count it as blessings those who have who have persevered." And they've heard Job's perseverance and they have seen what the Lord brought about through his perseverance. So this it's not it's a principle that that overflows from the Bible into human experience. 
um, another source, The Body Keeps Score by um, Bessel van der Kolk. He says that the mainstream, medi- mainstream medicine is firmly committed to a better life through chemistry. And the fact that we can actually change our physiology and inner equilibrium by things other than drugs is rarely considered. Hmm. And so you're hearing it from the professionals that actually prescribe these drugs to people, Mm -hmm. desiring not to try to fix this problem through prescribed drugs, but for people actually facing the truth of their scenario and walking them through. Well, and I don't want to get into this at all as far as the main scope, but that's great to hear individual doctors or practitioners saying that, but we do also understand that there's big big pharma out there, oh, right? yeah. And, and that is a big machine that pushes exactly. a lot of this, too. Exactly. So we have exactly. to understand there's a corporate exactly. money-making yep. device behind all that, too. Yep. Um, let me, let me, we'll, we'll wrap up with this question, uh-huh. and then we'll do this question, and then we'll do final thoughts, just kind of, you know, exit. Um, can a Christian be so full of Jesus that fear, depression, and anxiety are not something they struggle with? I would have to go as far as to say, I don't think so. Um, like we just saw in, in Second Corinthians, Paul, I think, was the most righteous person to live outside of Jesus. Uh, still wasn't close to who Jesus was. Um, I, I think we have to be careful. Charles or John Wesley taught uh, taught a teaching called Christian per- perfection, is what they call it. Uh, that sanctification can lead to perfection in in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a, what a lot of the Catholic Church believes as well. Um, but I think we have to be careful going down that road. Um, do I think that we can get to the point where we can uh, pretty much be wired to, to do our best to give everything to Christ? Uh, yes. But do I think that we're going to be rid of it entirely? No. I think it's going to come uh, over and over. And I think it's just, uh, I think the moment we say we know it's not going to, then we might we might be missing something. Mm. And I? You know what? I, I want to say that when I've reached the pinnacle of my sanctification, I'm like Jesus, that I'll, I won't worry about anything because he commands me not to worry about anything. But as soon as I think about that, I think about Jesus in the garden. Tough, right? And yeah. I, think, I think about his position of having to suffer for us and the blood and the, the, the tears that he experienced in the garden. So even in his perfection, um, Jesus was in a position where, you know, he was stressed out. He, Take it away from me, right? You know what I mean? Like Take the he, cup away from me. So, and he he wanted to overlook that experience, but look how he bared it, though. And right. I think that's the most important part. Is of course he didn't want to have that experience as a human man, but look how he went through it. Right. With with such confidence, and we see that in the martyrs too, um, in Fox's Book of Martyrs, the confidence that they bear the the torment and the challenge with. And I think that's the example to us. And I think at the end of the day, that Jesus' example means that it's not that we're not going to experience these things. It's how we deal with them and how we manage them right. that shows where our faith is. Well, I mean, Scripture says clearly we're going to have to, we're going to go through mm-hmm. persecution. We're going to have tribulations. Right. We're going to have trials. So the fact that things aren't going to come at us uh, is crazy. Like any right. Christian that believes that, like, stop, please. Like right. your, your life is not going to get easier because right. you said the Lord or the sinner's prayer on a Sunday morning. Right. In fact, from my experience, <laughs> it gets a little harder, you know, uh, at, at, least as far as, at least as far as the, the trials, prayer, but, just the yeah. practical day-to-day stuff that comes out. 
status. Mm-hmm. However, um, and I know you, you and I have talked about this before, and I am not saying that I fully agree with everything that Bethel or Bill Johnson says, but I do like this one thing that Bill Johnson says. He says that Jesus is perfect theology, right? Like we could look at a hundred different characters in the Bible, but if we ever want to try to get the closest to the pin, if you ever, Jesus, always Jesus, right? Like, and I don't think any of us would have a, a an issue with that saying, right? Like that basing I, I your theology on I Jesus is a bad thing. I have an issue with it because what he does is he, he basically grades scripture starting with Jesus and then going down because he doesn't know how to figure out the contradictions, the seeming contradictions. Right, right, so right. So he'll say Jesus' word always goes first and then everything else. And, and I think it's a contradiction to, uh, let's say, the famous Bible with the red letters. I think the whole scripture was written in red letters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Jesus is the same, the same God all throughout the Old and, and New Testament. Um, so that, that I would disagree with, but I understand your point is that always look to Jesus well, well, like we even have little bracelets. Like, like, what would Jesus do, right? Like, the the concept of looking to Jesus for answers is not foreign, right? Like, we that's that we'd all agree that like looking at Jesus in his life is probably a good place to start, especially for a new Christian. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Start, so start reading the New Testament. So what probably. I would say is that I don't believe that life gets any easier when you become a Christian. As it far shouldn't. as as right as you, far you as can't have that expectation. Right. As far as like the day to day stuff, like nope. raising your kids does not get easier because you are now a Christian. Paying <laughs> taxes does not get easier because you're, like life it is still life. Right. Um, but however, and this is where I think this is the game changer for me and how I view Jesus. Jesus in the scriptures. Perspective is everything, right? I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I believe so much of who Jesus was was so based on his perspective, how he saw God as a father, right? Which was a foreign concept to people uh, when he came, uh, how he saw humanity and how he could love uh, an adulterous woman, you know, how, how those, those were just mind blowing things in that moment. So I believe perspective is so huge as far as our faith goes. So even though what would you say determines perspective, right? So, uh, how we, how we view things, the filter in which we put things through so that when the stuff comes in life, okay. it's how we respond. So where does that filter come from? Correct. And that's why I was talking about filters and, and how okay. we grab things. So, right. um, what I was trying to bring up with the Bill Johnson and Jesus being perfect theology. So this is my opinion and only my opinion. Um, I was just thinking of those political ads like this. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But anyway, so this is, this is just my, uh, my opinion. I, I, I believe um, that it, life does not get any easier by becoming a Christian. Right. Um, however, I do believe that Jesus came and died so that we could, could adopt and be adopted into a perspective that he had. And right. I believe, um, and I'm just going to be really hypothetical here. I believe that if you locked me in a room with Jesus and it's just me and Jesus, the clear manifest presence of God, where is there room for anxiety? Where's the room for fear and depression? And I'll go back to something you said. Well, Did, if you're describing that closet as heaven, nowhere. But no, no, no. I'm not. We'll I'm not even talking our, about heaven. I'm talking about right here. We're, we're right always going to have a sinful body until. I'm not even talking about sin. I'm talking about be being so caught up in the presence of God, knowing He's here. Right, even right now, the Holy Spirit is here. Mm-hmm. That He, that He is waiting, and and we can engage with Him as much as we want to if we just decide to receive Him. Right, like the pre, like God is omnipresent. He's all around. We can experience Him, and and you you even said that that Jesus died to break down that wall so that we could have relationships. So, mm-hmm. I guess what I'm saying is, mm-hmm. do I believe that you could sanctify yourself to be so much? better and holy that like this stuff doesn't bother you no i don't believe that because once again now we're running for perfection and that's i don't necessarily believe that jesus is like hey i want you to to hit a bat a hundred percent all the time you know i I don't necessarily think that like, like jesus is saying that that this is your commission i think what he's saying is 
come close to me, follow me, right? Get next to me. And I believe, and this is something that I strive for in my personal life. I want to get so close to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father, that when things happen in my life, it's not that I'm any holier than anybody else in any other room, but it's that I, I'm so close to him that these things become minuscule in comparison okay. to the presence of God. And I want to be so aware of his presence that these things become so minuscule. And I think that where you get that perspective is from a relationship with the Lord, with the Father that Jesus had. Right. Jesus did everything through His through the power of his relationship with the Father. Um, so not only, of course, he was deity but his relationship with the father gave us an example of the type of relationship we should have and if we have that same relationship we'll think the way jesus did and i and i believe that's what he means by um be holy as i am holy and he draws us to perfection he wants us to be holy and blameless so i, I would agree i would completely agree with you there how like when you said how you experience the holy spirit I think that's a that's another conversation. Well, once again, yeah, we're talking about but, filters, right? Yeah, we're talking about but, how, um, you know. But definitely, uh, I totally think that as you draw closer to Christ and as you develop a relationship with Him through through the Scripture too, because it's the wa- the Scriptures washing and transforming you that right. makes you think the way Jesus did. You're not right. gonna you're not gonna get a download from the Holy Spirit like Neo in the Matrix. Mm-hmm. That's not gonna happen. God is gonna reveal things to you through His Word, and that's why I put the emphasis on His Word, and that's how you develop a relationship with Christ. Because there's no other way that you're right. gonna do that just by going to some kind of Bethel concert or something and lifting your hands and which I have a huge issue with yeah yeah you know experience the atmosphere that well by the way if I could just quickly say um I appreciate your uh your willingness to uh to listen to especially have been having been in so many denominations I appreciate your willingness to search for truth I think that's commendable I did want to say that yeah yeah thank you Um, yeah <laughs> yeah, that's such a nice no, I, did, I just didn't want to throw that in. Um, that was actually on a cue card back there. You guys couldn't see it. But, but yeah, I, I, think, <laughs> kidding, kidding. I think sometimes we can we can um, confuse sanctification with glorification. And I think um, R.C. Sproul gave this example, but and I took this example and pretended it was mine. I'm just kidding. I gave I gave him credit. <laughs> but we took three students and we put one on the very left side, one on the very right side. Um, and the one on the very left side was supposed to represent Hitler. The one on the very right was supposed to represent Jesus. Um, and then we took, like I said earlier, I think the most righteous guy to live uh, closest to righteous outside of Jesus, of course, was Paul. So we put Paul all the way over to the left next to Hitler. And when Paul got saved, uh, regenerated, and sanctification began, he started, obviously, sanctification is a work Christ does in us, the Holy sure. Spirit is in us. He came closer and closer to Jesus. But by the time he died, he's probably two feet from from Hitler and a hundred feet from Jesus because Jesus is that perfect (laughs) and glorification we're glorified when we die that's when we that's when we're it really is when we wear Jesus robe uh, and we appear perfect before God because of what Christ did for us that and I think that's when when suffering will be we will be rid of Um, I do think we have to be careful of having like a Buddhist kind of uh, kind of perspective is the word you used where we look at things as we have to rid of suffering and the more and more we rid of desire we rid of suffering and then eventually we just won't suffer anymore right. I think that can, can sometimes get well, twisted in I'm not talking about ridding ourselves of desire even sinful nature like that's not I, and I use this example all the time and, and we're all married here right so, um, so yeah we suffer well, no, that's not what I'm talking about <laughs> although, <laughs> although if that's your experience we'll pray for you uh, no what I'm talking about is um, um, so you might see uh, Sorry, baby, you know, I'm, like I'm temptation joking. is 
everywhere, right? <laughs> like, right, right, temptation is everywhere for, for men. Like, can we just be honest about that? Like, whether right. you're TV or yep. hey, you can't even go to the beach anymore. Yeah. Like, temptation is everywhere. However, um, for those of us who love our wives, which I'm assuming we all love our wives, man. I love mine most. But right. Keep right. Okay. Fair enough. We, we go on date nights with our wives, right? Like, hopefully we're all doing that. Um, they're our world, right? In that moment. Like, and, and I would hope that in those moments, whether you're at dinner or whether you're, uh, my wife and I, like, doing stupid stuff like go-karts or whatever like whatever your thing is with your wife those are not right. stupid in in, in there in those moments right like it's kind of the idea that she's all i see right. in those moments right. and, and that's what i'm saying okay in those mm-hmm. moments with the father when we're on our date nights with our father and hopefully the deeper in the relationship we get our life should kind of just turn into a date night right with the right. father and and i guess what i'm saying is getting so locked into that relationship that the temptation that that's all you yep. see. I'm just we're just locked eyes, right? It's mm-hmm. that marriage, it's that union that, right. that the New Testament talks about. So it has nothing to do with me being a better person, with me getting rid of desire. In fact, all the glory and the power is his because he's so beautiful that I can't take my eyes away if I choose to see him. I, I just think um, I, I love hearing the idea, but I mean, even thinking of Billy Graham, he was in his late 90s. And he said, I still need Jesus just as much as I did 90 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think as much as I would love to have that idea be true, I just, um, I, I think that over and over, like you said with the date night, I, I treat my wife so well and then I end up getting an argument because I did something stupid. And I think it's just over and over, I'm going to do something stupid. Um, one of my favorite lines we use in youth ministry all the time is, sin is inevitable, but it's never unavoidable. Uh, and that just shows how sinful we are. C.S. Lewis says we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Right. And I think that over and over we're going to see how imperfect we are and how perfect Jesus is. Right. So I, I, I want to add that I hope that reading through the scripture that we don't see suffering as a bad thing. Yeah, like absolutely. In and of Agreed. itself, I yeah. think that any how we're going through trials and challenges, we have to, as Christians, see suffering <laughs> as a good thing, something that's beneficial. And I'm sure that people can see through their lives that the challenges that they go through, once they come out on the other side, they're stronger for it. Sure. And that, and that's in your spiritual life. And, and you can say that about people that are even secular. And that's sure. what, what a lot about motivational speaking is about, is doing the hard things. Yeah. So um, even Nietzsche said that to live is to suffer and to survive is to find meaning in suffering. Mm-hmm. Right. And we all, and most of us, I'm sure, I would assume we know who he is. So. Um, when the sons of thunder come to Jesus and they, they desire to be glorified with Christ <laughs> on his right and left side, favorite path. the first thing that he asked them, I'm sure after he chuckled a little bit, sure. was, are you willing to drink of the cup of bitterness that I'm going to drink of? Right. And they're like, yeah. yeah. And he's like, you will. Right. But it's not up to me to give that to you. Right. And that should give us a clue that if we want to be glorified with Christ, that that we should glory in the suffering. Mm-hmm. We have to glory in the suffering. And I want to be right up, you know, maybe a step below Moses and Abraham, but pretty close to the throne, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So um, <laughs> I desire that God prepares my heart to suffer any way that I need to suffer sure. so that I can reign with Christ. Yeah. And I know uh, for those of you who are watching, we're just going to tie up here. Um, we talked about a hundred different things, yep. and, and and I hope that you did gain something from this as far as fear, depression, anxiety, um, and there's so many theological rabbit holes we could always go down, and hopefully over the span of months, you know, we can have more of these conversations and, and go down some of those rabbit holes um, when we're not on this, but um, let's finish with final thoughts. Just kind of go down the road. We'll start with Nate, um, and, and the final thought is this, and we'll just go right back to the original question. Uh, just final thoughts on 
Should a Christian struggle with fear, depression, anxiety? Final thoughts. Should. Um, let me read Romans 5.35. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. I think should is the key word. Uh, should we? No. Will we have suffering? suffering come? Yes. I think that we always have to handle it as understanding that God is using it. Uh, God is building us through it. And God loves us so much that he, Romans says that he even left some of the sins unpunished that his son would, would take on the cross. Um, so ultimately, God uses our suffering. Should we suffer? Should we be anxious? No. But when those things come, that we need to look to Christ and hold on, lean on him. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Uh-huh. I think the thing that stands out to me I learned is we've been going through Hosea uh, at church and the beginning of Hosea 6 says come let us return to the Lord he has torn us to pieces but he will heal us he has injured us but he will bound up our wounds after two days he will revive us on the third day he will restore us which we may live in his presence so let us acknowledge the Lord let us press on to acknowledge him as surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like a like winter rains, like the spring rains. He will water the earth. So again, going back to the Lord's going to, he himself says he has torn us to pieces so that he can heal us. So going back to the scripture, and if we understand who he is and what he's doing to us, we will rejoice in our suffering. And if I could just quickly say, yeah. if, if anyone listening, if anyone listening, you, again, you talked about perspective, I would feel comfortable switching the word perspective with interpretation. But if anyone has that perspective that the Old Testament God is a mean God, um, I would challenge you to read the book of Hosea. If there's any any book that just shows how great God's love is, it's right. Hosea. That's true. Uh, I would challenge you to read it. It's only, at, what is it, 12 chapters? Yeah, it's not long at all. Somewhere around there. I would challenge you to read it and it will change your life. Um, okay, so I'll, I'll kind of tie up with my final thought here, which I know is going to be different, but that's fine. Um, do I believe a Christian should struggle with fear and depression? Oh, okay, let me let me switch this. Do I believe a Christian could struggle with it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. I think you could struggle with it. Do I think you're destined to struggle with it? I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. I think God is so much bigger than that. I don't think um, that when persecution, tribulation, trials, all that, I think, yes, like my arm could be chopped off right now, but it's, it's up to me to view that as loss or to say like we talked about at the beginning but what are you trying to do right now you know what are you trying to do and i think that that's why i'm using the word perspective it's not that the trial doesn't happen but can i glory inside the tribulation like paul says and if i do glory inside the tribulation then i'm not dealing with fear and i'm not dealing with depression and i'm not dealing with anxiety i'm actually glorying inside of the tribulation and and so man it, this is just me once again just my personal thing if you're watching if you're watching a couple days later and you're dealing with fear depression anxiety my personal opinion is i believe that we can get a perspective or whatever vernacular we want to put it on. i believe we can get a perspective a relationship with jesus that's so big and so strong not on anything we could ever do right because we were never great in the first place but on everything that he did through the cross that says I'm so much bigger than all that stuff and I want you to be filled because that's what Paul says right have an answer ready when people come to you and ask you why you're filled with so much hope how are you filled with hope if you're dealing with anxiety fear and depression 
It's not that the bad stuff's not happening. It's how you respond because of what he did through the cross. So um, that that's just my my two cents. And I know we all have a different uh, opinion, and, and that's a good thing. And, and I want to, for our live viewers as we tie up here, I want to encourage you, if you couldn't take anything from this whole thing, because uh, I know we talked about a lot of different stuff, I would encourage you uh, for the Facebook warriors out there, uh, for the Starbucks theologians, for you know all the people that are just talking about Jesus and what it means. Get comfortable being uncomfortable, having conversations with people. You know, like you don't just have conversations with people you agree with. Learn to have conversations with people that you may disagree with and get excited about having conversations again. Not just being stuck in, well, I'm Reformed or I'm Pentecostal or I'm Charismatic or I'm Baptist or I'm Catholic or whatever. Don't just get comfortable being inside of that because even though we may not agree on these things, these things are so valuable to me. These conversations. Use the word to support your position. Don't just have an opinion about something. Right. And don't just take your pastor's word, right? Right. Like you need to be able to dig into your word and say, okay, yes, I've heard XYZ pastor say this, but I've read the scripture and this is what I get out of it. Um, And, you know, it's okay to defend your position, but not to a point where we alienate others. You know, we we still have to love each other through this process. So um, I hope this was valuable for you guys. We're going to tie up um, any questions that you guys have uh, on this. Maybe we can respond via messenger and I'll make sure Anaya or Nick can uh, get some of those if they, if you guys have specific questions to them, I can email you guys or whatever. Maybe, you know, we can see what happens next time. Maybe we'll create like a little mailbag or something. And next time we do this, we'll kind of pop it open. But um, yeah, guys, thank you so much for watching. And I really hope this fed you guys. We're going to try to do this on a weekly basis in one shape or another, not necessarily with all the members here, but in one form or another, we're going to try to do this. So uh, thank you everyone for watching. And do you guys have anything final you want to say? Just any shout outs to the wives? I, I have one final kids? question, if, yeah, that, if yeah. that's okay. Yeah, go for it. So I noticed that you, um, in your final your final closing, um, you, you used the word destined. You said you don't believe that we're destined to suffer. And you said you believed uh, God's bigger than that. And I just have one final question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in Revelation 13, it says that the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world, from mm-hmm. before we were even here. Uh, and my, my question would be, if God is bigger and does not, does not destine suffering, what do we do with the cross? Yeah, so I don't know that I would say he doesn't destine uh, suffering in the sense of the trials and the tribulations, but I think the, the 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 state of the soul or the spirit or whatever word you would put on it, that's the suffering I'm talking about. That's and and that's interesting because we talked about Jesus in the garden, right? Like take this cup away from me, and mm-hmm. and that's tough. But in from my opinion, and this is just real quick because we don't have time to go over this, I think Jesus was seeing the separation that was coming. I right. think he was seeing the alienation that was about to happen on the cross, and if from my understanding of who Jesus was, is there anything worse for a son than to be separated from the father? There's no beating that's worse than the separation from the father, right? There's, there's no, there's no harsh word or, 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 uh, anything that he went through. I think it was the separation of the father that he's like, I don't want this. That's not what I want because he's so addicted. If that's a good word to use to the presence of his father, you know what I'm saying? And so I don't know that I would use the word suffering in the sense of the stuff that happens to us. I'm talking about the state of the soul, the state of the spirit. Can you still have hope when stuff happens to you? Do you still have faith when stuff happens to you? Or are we just drug around like dogs on a leash and anything that comes our way, man, we're just our heads yanked that way, our heads yanked that way. Cause that's a roller coaster ride. And I don't know that Jesus died for us to be on these constant ups and downs emotionally. I, I don't, I don't see Jesus living his life that way. Um, not to say that stuff doesn't happen, 
but what's the state of our soul when stuff happens, you know? Um, and I know we could probably talk for another hour. All <laughs> yeah. this. <Nope>. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, just to put my yeah. info out there, yeah, yeah, people yeah. come follow me at, on my IG at nya.lation, so annihilation with a period. And on Facebook, they connect with me through Lauren. Cool. Yeah. And I put out. I put out stuff that um, that solidifies my position. Not I don't touch the political stuff, sure, but sure. I share biblical information. So yeah, and what I'll do is I'll actually get y'all's handles, whether it's IG or Facebook or whatever, and I'll drop them in the comments right after this, so that people, if they want to check you guys out, and if you got blogs, you got Facebook or whatever, they can cool. kind of check you guys out. But thank you guys both for being here. I love that we Pleasure, don't always man. agree, and it's a great time having a conversation. Pleasure, and yeah, uh, you. you know, hopefully, you guys got something from this, and uh, we're just gonna keep chugging along and just keep going with the conversation because I think the conversation is so important. So uh, once again, thank you for everybody for watching. Thanks for the guests. Thanks for uh, Jacob uh, running audio for us. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks.